0: So good evening. For someone who has spent the better part of today pulling together some words about equanimity, I'm not feeling very equanimous at the moment. <laughs> uh, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna. Um, there's. I was. I was noticing just how it's going as we move through the retreat. And there are a lot of words. So what I invite you to do is to just really sit back and relax and let the words fall into your heart. No worries. So it's, everything is being recorded. So no worries about being able to get the information or get that particular list or whatever it might be. I'm going to begin with a James Baldwin piece. Those of you who have sat with me before may have heard this before, but it's something that you can hear over and over and over again. Life is tragic simply because the earth turns and the sun inexorably rises and sets. And one day, for each of us, the sun will go down for the last, last time. Perhaps the whole root of our trouble, the human trouble, is that we will sacrifice all the beauty of our lives. We'll imprison ourselves in totems, taboos, crosses, blood sacrifices, steeples, mosques, races, armies, flags, nations, in order to deny the fact of death, which is the only fact we have. It seems to me that one ought to rejoice in the fact of death, ought to decide, indeed, to earn one's death by confronting with passion the conundrum of life. One is responsible to life. It is the small beacon in that terrifying darkness from which we come and to which we shall return. One must negotiate this passage as nobly as possible for the sake of those who are coming after us. It is the responsibility of free people to trust and to celebrate what is constant. Birth, struggle, and death are constant. And so is love, though we may not always think so. And to apprehend the nature of change, to be able and willing to change. I speak of change not on the surface, but in the depths. Change in the sense of renewal. But renewal becomes impossible if one supposes things to be constant that are not. Safety, for example, or money. Or power. One clings then to chimeras, chimeras being a thing that is hoped for but in fact is illusory or impossible to achieve. One clings then to chimeras by which one can only be betrayed and the entire hope, the entire possibility of freedom disappears. from the Dhammapada uh, piece on equanimity, or Upeka. As a solid mass of rock is not stirred by the wind, so a sage is not moved by praise and blame. As a deep lake is clear and undisturbed, so a sage becomes clear upon hearing the Dhamma. Virtuous people always let go. They don't prattle about pleasures and desires. Touched by happiness and then by suffering, the sage shows no sign of being elated or depressed. So where to was depending on Mary Oliver the other night, I called in everybody. So I have lots of quotes and all that kind of thing, and one or two of them I don't know who it's by, um, but if I know, I will say that when I'm reading them. So this is Tenisaro Biku. Just as a bird needs two wings to fly, as practitioners we must cultivate both wisdom or clear seeing and compassion. Both are equally important and must be used together. Wisdom is not just an intellectual understanding. It is a deep and profound seeing into the nature of reality. Compassion is not just sympathy. It is a heartfelt understanding of the suffering that all beings experience. These are the wings of awakening, the way to freedom. Rumi, O oh heart, if you recognize any difference between joy and sorrow, these illusions will tear you apart. Equanimity is one of the most sublime emotions in our Buddhist practice. It is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. While some may think of equanimity as dry neutrality or cool aloofness, mature equanimity produces a radiance and a warmth of being. The Buddha described a mind filled with equanimity as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, Without hostility and without ill will. I'll take some of that. The beneficial feeling, state, and condition we hope to cultivate through our mindfulness practice is equanimity. When we rest in equanimity, our feelings are in perfect balance. We neither push away unpleasant feelings nor grasp at pleasant ones. We are not confused by ignorance and see everything very clearly. Since we don't identify ourselves with our feelings, they pass quietly away, leaving us at peace. As a feeling, equanimity is both neutral and spiritual. It is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, and it is not indifferent. We are awake and alert and can continue our observation of our body, our feelings, thoughts, and other experiences without being pushed and pulled by desire or aversion. It's like when you have two or three drops of water and you let it fall into an iron skillet that's been heating for the whole day. Perhaps the drops falling somewhat slow, but they quickly evaporate and disappear once hitting the skillet. In the same way, sensations arising due to ideas and stories are replaced quickly and easily with equanimity. With equanimity, we are no longer troubled by the ups and downs of pleasure and pain. Mind and body are in balance. We are free of restlessness, agitation, and worry. Confusion ends, and we rest in harmony with reality. Even the subtle desire for a beautiful experience to continue has disappeared. Instead, we feel immeasurable, loving, friendless, friendliness, and boundless compassion. So one of the reasons I, I, I told my, uh, when I spoke to my husband yesterday, I told him I was going to do equanimity, he said, oh, good, you love that one. That's really you. <laughs> and it is. I love the Brahma Viharas. And within the context of the Brahma Viharas, I think that equanimity is exquisite. And maybe that's partly due to um, the benefit of my picking up equanimity practice. Uh, at this point, I guess it's, what, 10 years ago? It was when our country took a turn in a particular way that I did not align with. And there was enough wisdom to know that maybe there was something within the context of the practice that could support me and help me navigate these changing times. So I took up equanimity practice. And, um, you know, I I mean, I went through the list like Metta ain't happening. compassion, maybe I could find an iota, an iota of compassion for the conditions and circumstances that were manifesting. Certainly there wasn't a lot of joy. That was really, although I've learned differently, which you'll hear about later on in the retreat. And then I got to equanimity. Equanimity, that's like, that's kind of cool. I could work with that. And I literally took it on, and it transformed not just my practice, but my life. I've always been a cool, calm person, but that was the external representation. The picking up of the equanimity actually transformed the internal experience so that there was then consistency between the internal and the external. So a few more quotes for you. This is the Dalai Lama. With equanimity, one can deal with situations with calm and reason while keeping your inner happiness. Both of these next two quotes are by Nayana Ponika Tara. You need power only when you want to do something harmful. Otherwise, love is enough to get everything done. Equanimity is a perfect unshakable balance of mind. Negative thoughts and tensions are like birds. We cannot stop them from flying near us, but we can stop them from making a nest in our mind. From One Mind Dharma. If you see someone is trying to make you angry or upset, do not react. It's not your job to make negative people happy. Every moment of equanimity is a moment of waking up from the delusion that things should be as we want them to be. Jack Cornfield. Equanimity is a wonderful quality, a spaciousness and balance of heart. Although it grows naturally with our meditation practice, equanimity can also be cultivated in the same systematic way that we've used for loving kindness and compassion. We can feel this possibility of balance in our hearts, in the midst of life, when we recognize that life is not in our control. We are just a small part of a great dance. And a few from Pema Chodron. It is possible to move through the drama of our lives without believing so earnestly in the character that we play. That we take ourselves so seriously that we are so absurdly important in our own minds is a problem for us. We feel justified in being annoyed with everything. We feel justified in denigrating ourselves or in feeling that we are more clever than other people. Self-importance hurts us limiting us to the narrow world of our likes and dislikes. We end up bored to death with ourselves and our world. We end up never satisfied. To cultivate equanimity, we practice catching ourselves when we feel attraction or aversion before it hardens into grasping or negativity. What if... Rather than being disheartened by the ambiguity, the uncertainty of life, we accepted it and just relaxed into it. To have equanimity is to be like a cork floating on the waves, moving with the waves, sometimes going under, but always floating back to the top. A quiet mind is able to hear intuition over fear. Thich Nhat Hanh. Our suffering is us and we need to treat it with kindness and nonviolence. We need to embrace our fear, hatred, anguish, and anger. My dear suffering, I know you are there. I am here for you and I will take care of you we stop running from our pain. With all our courage and tenderness, we recognize, acknowledge, and identify it. Equanimity, complete openness to experience without being lost in reactions of love and hate. Utejaniya, the unattached awareness of one's experience as a result of perceiving the impermanence of momentary reality. It is a peace of mind, an abiding calmness, that cannot be shaken by any grade of either fortunate or unfortunate circumstances. Vipassana meditation can be seen as a process of developing certain positive mental factors until they are powerful enough to dominate the state of the mind quite continuously. So when I read that and decided to put it, I was like, dominate? Oh, that sounds so patriarchal and masculine. But then when I read it again, I was like, but that's the truth. Like, that power of practice and stationing oneself in equanimity does have that kind of power of domination like in a basketball game. Right? So we want to dominate the state of mind that are unskillful with the skillful states of mind. These factors are called the controlling faculties, the five spiritual factors, faith, effort, or energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Especially in an intensive retreat setting such as we are, skillful practice develops strong and durable faith, powerful effort, deep concentration, penetrative mindfulness, and the unfolding of more and more profound insight or wisdom. This final product Intuitive wisdom, or panya, is the force in the mind which cuts through into the deepest truth about reality and thus liberates us from ignorance and its results, suffering, delusion, and all the forms of unhappiness. So as I do, I went to the dictionary and I looked up equanimity, evenness of mind, Evenness of mind, especially under stress, right disposition, balance. Both equanimity and equal are derived from equus, a Latin adjective meaning level or equal. Equanimity comes from the combination of equus and animus, which is soul or mind. In the Latin phrase, equo animo means with even mind, balanced and harmony. So just for those of you that, you know, words have energy on them and have different projections and perceptions about their meaning. So these are some synonyms for equanimity, composure, serenity, tranquility, calm, confidence, cool, patience, Peace, placid, poise, presence of mind. Perhaps you can find your way in with one of those synonyms. The other thing that I really like about equanimity or that really um, has me feel empowered in relation to that and wanting to share that with people is it's all over the Dhamma. It's not just a Brahma Vihara. Yeah. And it's my thought that um, the Buddha was not a person that minced words. So if he's highlighting equanimity, it must be something to pay attention to. So equanimity as a quality of balance, part of the seven factors of enlightenment. There are three arousing, three calming, and mindfulness is neutral, A way of sharpening the controlling faculties is cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment, mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture or joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These qualities of mind or mental factors are actually the causes which bring about enlightenment. When they are present and alive in one's mind, the moment of enlightenment is being encouraged and it may be said to be drawing nearer. Furthermore, the seven factors of enlightenment belong to what is known as the noble path and fruition consciousness. That's a quote from Joseph Goldstein. The enlightenment factors of effort, joy, and investigation uplift the mind when it becomes depressed, while the factors of tranquility, concentration, and equanimity calm the mind when it becomes hyperactive. <laughs> Sayadaw Upandida said, perhaps the United Nations should be given a new name. If it were called the Organization of Equanimity, delegates might be reminded of the state of mind that is essential at the negotiating table, especially when facing a hot problem any decision-maker must be able to remain unbiased in the face of difficult problems. Another Sayadaw Upadida quote. The mind that is balanced is like a carriage being pulled by two horses of equal strength and stamina. When both are running, driving the carriage is easy the driver just lets the horses do the work. But if one horse is fast and the other is an old, worn-out horse, the driver will have hard work to avoid landing in the ditch. The driver will constantly have to make efforts to slow down the fast horse and speed up the old horse. Similarly, in meditation practice, at first there is no equilibrium among mental states And we are constantly careening from enthusiasm to doubt, from exertion to laziness. As the practice continues, however, the enlightenment factor of equanimity arises. And then mindfulness seems to go along by itself. At this time, we can experience a great comfort to jump forward into a modern metaphor, we become drivers of a luxury automobile going along an untrafficked freeway with the car on cruise control. That's what Sa Da said. (laughs) Continuous mindfulness causes equanimity. According to the Buddha, the way to bring about equanimity is wise attention, to be continually mindful from moment to moment, without a break, based on the intention to develop equanimity. One moment of equanimity causes a succeeding moment of equanimity to arise. Once equanimity is activated, it will be the cause for equanimity to continue and to deepen. It can bring one to deep levels of practice beyond the insight into the arising and passing away of phenomena. The mind will be well balanced for a little while and then it will go off again. But step by step, equanimity is strengthened. The intervals, when it is present, grow more prolonged and frequent. Eventually, equanimity becomes strong enough to qualify as a factor of enlightenment. There are five ways to develop and arouse equanimity that are discussed in the commentaries in the Pali Canon. So, one of them is balanced emotion towards all living things, an equanimous attitude towards all living beings, not attached to anyone. Another way is balanced emotion towards inanimate things. This is skillful. It is a second way of developing this factor of enlightenment. Bonte talked about that last night in terms of colors and robes. Equanimity is to adopt an attitude of balance towards inanimate things, property, car. Another way is avoiding people who are deeply possessive or otherwise lack equanimity. This third method for developing equanimity is an enlightenment factor, is avoiding the company of people who tend to be over-engaged, smothering of people and things. A fourth method of arousing upeka or equanimity, we should choose friends who have no great attachment to beings or possessions. And finally, The fifth way is inclining the mind towards balance. The fifth and last cause for this factor of enlightenment to arise is constantly to incline one's mind towards the cultivation of equanimity. So one of the things, and and, um, as I read a little bit more, um, equanimity is often in the Brahma Vihara, and even though it's not really linear, it's really more like a helix, but the way it's presented is linear. So in the Brahma Viharas, equanimity is the fourth one. Um, seven factors, the last one. Uh, the paramis, the last one. So I took a look at that, and, and, and how it struck me was that actually equanimity is like the base. keeps the rhythm moving. Keeps everything solidly on track. Mm. Equanimity is of tremendous importance, both in the practice and in everyday life. Generally, we either get swept away by pleasant and enticing objects or worked up into a great state of agitation when confronted by unpleasant, desirable objects. This wild alternation of contraries is nearly universal among all human beings. When we lack the capacity to stay balanced and unfaltering, we are easily swept into extremes of craving or aversion. The Dhamma says that when the mind indulges in sensual objects, it becomes agitated. This is the usual state of affairs in the world as we can observe In the quest for happiness, people mistake excitement of the mind for real happiness. In the quest for happiness, people mistake excitement of the mind for real happiness. They never have the chance to experience the greater joy that comes with peace and tranquility. Quote from Ruth King, equanimity is often depicted in images of stillness, ease, compassion, and strength. In Buddhism, equanimity is prominent and often referenced as a crowning mind state or the fruit of spiritual practice. It means to stand in the middle of all things. I've been told that a common reference to equanimity in India is to see with patience. It is a sustained state of balance, seeing what's here with evenness of mind, a mind that is touched by life but unbroken by its ever-changing nature. Equanimity is an invaluable inner resource that is cultivated through awareness. It is the experience of knowing the energetic movements of mind without reactivity. It is an experience of grounded presence in the midst of extremes when the mind is steady and responsive and when we can say to ourselves, this moment is like this. And it doesn't have to be different right now. I can allow what is here and offer what is needed. Imagine the power of this inner resource as we move through this chaotic and controversial world. Equanimity is awareness that is so spacious that whatever arises in our mind and heart, whether agreeable or disagreeable is small and incidental compared to awareness itself. In other words, when we are equanimous, nothing is left out of the heart's view. The practice of equanimity stills the mind and grounds the heart in wise understanding. It is this grounding and wisdom and compassion that fertilizes seeds of balanced well-being. The Indian philosopher Jadu Krishnamurti spoke beautifully to the essence of equanimity when he said, when the mind is still, tranquil, not seeking any answer or solution, neither resisting or avoiding. It is only then that there can be a regeneration because then the mind is capable of perceiving what is true. And it is the truth that liberates, not our effort to be free. Equanimity as a parame, the ten perfections, ten qualities that lead to Buddhahood. This is how Taweri introduced us oh so long ago. <laughs> Generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolution or resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. Patience and equanimity are considered the mainstays of support for the development and practice of all the other paramis. Only when we have set ourselves up with patience and equanimity, if we are patient and we develop this quality of impartiality, all the rest will follow. Then there are these conditions that are inconstant and impermanent. The eight worldly dhammas gain and loss, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. How many of y'all have been bouncing back and forth between all of that for the past weeks, days, hours, maybe minutes? Each of us is touched by the eight worldly vicissitudes, the factors of the endlessly changing conditions of gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain. When we cultivate and develop equanimity, we can move through the waves of these vicissitudes with balance and ease. When equanimity is understood and practiced as a wisdom aspect, The experience of meditative awareness, it is said that the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. Non-preferential awareness supports understanding and insight into the three characteristics or impermanence dukkha and the truth of selflessness. Ajahn Chah. These are the two extremes. We lean towards either side, but we don't like to stay in the middle. The middle is the lonely way. When there is attraction, we go that way. When there is aversion, we go that way. Putting them down is lonely. We refuse to go there. The Buddha taught that neither extreme is the way of one who is tranquil. We need to be free of pleasure and pain, for neither is the way of peace. Once free of these things, we can be peaceful, thinking, I am so happy. That is not it. That is just happiness for suffering in the future. These are things we must be wary of. Walking the path, we see the two extremes and keep going. We keep to the middle without desiring them because we want peace, not pleasure or pain. This is the correct path. It is said that Buddha said, develop a mind that is vast like water, where experiences both pleasant and unpleasant can appear and disappear without conflict, struggle, or harm. Rest in a mind like vast water. Amit Ray said, equanimity is the hallmark of spirituality. It is neither chasing nor avoiding, but just being in the middle so hard for us to just be in the middle we've been so conditioned in the extremes trying that on investigating the experience of middleness in the body, in the heart in the mind equanimity is one of the most sublime emotions of our practice It is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. Equanimity refers to a balance in the mind called neutrality of mind. Literally, Bhikkhu Bodhi translated it as there in the middleness between extremes. This quality of evenness speaks to how it functions. Upeka is freedom from all points of self-reference. It is indifference only to the demands of the ego self with its craving for pleasure and position and not to the well-being of our fellow human beings. When this middleness is cultivated, it brings about an unshakable quality of mind. There is a tremendous strength in that. And finally for tonight equanimity as a divine abode. It is impartiality. Equanimity is ability to hold all equally. It gives the other brahma-viharas their boundless capacity. Equanimity is the soil for the other three Brahma to flourish. The Brahma-viharas are the medicine, the antidote, the answer, to the cessation of suffering. So I'm going to just say a few words about the four heavenly abodes, all of them that we will get to prior to the ending of the retreat. But this, this uh, helix or this weaving in and out of the four of them is an interesting note especially as it relates to equanimity. So these four heavenly abodes are sublime states of mind. These four attitudes are, set to be, are said to be excellent or sublime because they are the right or wise or ideal way of conduct towards living beings. They provide a context to all situations arising from social contact. They are the great removers of tension, the great peacemakers in social conflict, and the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle for existence. They level social barriers, build harmonious communities, awaken slumbering magnanimity long forgotten, revive joy and hope long abandoned and promote human brotherhood against the forces of egotism. The Brahma-viharas are incompatible with a hating state of mind. They are called abodes or vihara because through practice they become the mind's constant dwelling place where we feel at home They hopefully will not remain merely places of rare and short visits soon forgotten. In other words, our minds should become thoroughly saturated by them. They can become our inseparable companions, and we can be mindful of them in all our common activities. As the Metta Sutta, the Song of Loving Kindness, says, When standing, walking, sitting, lying down, whenever one feels free of tiredness, let them establish well this mindfulness. This, it is said, is the divine abode. They are non-exclusive and impartial, not bound by selective preferences or prejudices. A mind that has attained the boundlessness of the Brahma Viharas will not harbor any national, racial, religious, gender or class violence and hatred. Until we are practiced to the degree where we are abiding in the heart naturally with that mental attitude, it will not be easy for us to affect that boundless application by a deliberate effort of will and to avoid consistently any kind of degree of partiality. The practical aim is to achieve with the help of these sublime states those high stages of mental concentration known as meditative absorption that we've been working with to various degrees throughout our time together Generally speaking, persistent meditative practice will have two effects. The first, it will allow these four qualities to sink deep into the heart so that they become spontaneous attitudes which are not easily overthrown. Second, it will bring out and secure their boundless extension, the unfolding of their all-embracing range. The ultimate aim of attaining these Brahma-Vihara concentrated states is to produce a state of mind that can serve as a firm basis for the liberating insight into the true nature of all phenomena as being impermanent, liable to suffering, and unsubstantial. A mind that has achieved meditative absorption induced by the sublime states will be pure, tranquil, firm, collected, and free. The interrelations of the four sublime states. Unbounded love guards compassion against turning into partiality prevents it from making discriminations by selecting and excluding, and thus protects it from falling into partiality or aversion. Love imparts to equanimity its selflessness, its boundless nature, and even its fervor. For fervor, too, transformed and controlled, is part of the perfect equanimity strengthening its power of keen penetration and wise restraint. Compassion prevents love and sympathetic joy from forgetting that while both are enjoying or giving temporary and limited happiness, there still exists at that time the most dreadful states of suffering in the world. It reminds them that their happiness coexists with measureless misery perhaps even at the next doorstep or cushion. It is a reminder to love and sympathetic joy that there is more suffering in the world than they are able to mitigate. That after the effect of such mitigation has vanished, sorrow and pain are sure to arise anew until suffering is uprooted entirely. Compassion does not allow that love and sympathetic joy shut themselves up against the wide world by confining themselves to a narrow sector of it. Compassion prevents love and sympathetic joy from turning into states of self-satisfied complacency within a jealously guarded petty happiness. Compassion stirs and urges love to widen its sphere. It stirs and urges sympathetic joy to search for fresh nourishment. Thus, it helps both of them to grow into truly boundless states. Compassion. Compassion guards equanimity from falling into a cold, indifference and keeps it from indolent or selfish isolation until equanimity has reached perfection compassion urges it to enter again and again the battle of the world in order to be able to stand the test by hardening and strengthening itself Sympathetic joy holds compassion back from becoming overwhelmed by the sight of the world's suffering, from being absorbed by it to the exclusion of everything else. Sympathetic joy relieves the tension of mind, soothes the painful burning of the compassionate heart. It keeps compassion away from the melancholic brooding without purpose. Sympathetic joy develops compassion into active sympathy. Sympathetic joy gives to equanimity the mild serenity that softens its stern appearance. It is the divine smile on the face of the enlightened one. A smile that persists in spite of the deep knowledge of the world's suffering. A smile that gives solace and hope, fearlessness and confidence. Equanimity, rooted in insight, is the guiding and restraining power for the three other sublime states. It points out to them the direction they have to take and sees to it that this direction is followed. Equanimity guards love and compassion from being dissipated in vain quests and from going astray in the labyrinths of uncontrolled emotion. Equanimity, being a vigilant self-control for the sake of the final goal, does not allow sympathetic joy to rest content with humble results, forgetting the real aims that we have to strive for. Equanimity, which means even-mindedness, gives to love an even, unchanging firmness and loyalty. It endows it with the great virtue of patience. Equanimity furnishes compassion with an even, unwavering courage and fearlessness, enabling it to face the awesome abyss of misery and despair which confronts boundless compassion again and again. Equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. But in its perfection and unshakable nature, equanimity is not dull, heartless, or frigid. Its perfection is not due to an emotional emptiness but to a fullness of understanding, to its being complete in itself. Its unshakable nature is not the immobility of a dead coal stone, but the manifestation of the highest strength. Tony Bernhardt says, every moment of equanimity is a moment of waking up from the delusion that things should be as we want them to be. So coming to a close, how to strengthen equanimity. Forgo attachment. That's like Bonte last night. No clinging. No clinging. No clinging. You got it? Really? Like we've been in these meetings too. (laughs) When we act without attachment to the outcome, we allow our minds to remain peaceful and undisturbed. Associate with wise and equanimous people. Practice it as a brahma We cultivate a balanced mind. Having an impartiality, that embraces all. The Dharma is not something you can explain or give. It is something to be known within yourself. You have to have the realization in your own mind. You need to practice and realize. Then the marvelous will arise and be known by your own mind. Ajahn Chah. Lastly, another quote from Ajahn Chah. The practice of dharma is leading to the point of letting go. But we must have knowledge of things according to the truth in order to let go. When real knowledge arises, there will be endurance in the practice of Dhamma. There will be enthusiastic, consistent effort. (laughs) This is called practicing. Once you have gotten to the end, you don't need to use the Dhamma like a saw that you sharpen to cut wood. Once the wood is cut, you put down the saw. You don't need to use it then. The saw is the Dhamma. The Dhamma is the tool to help us achieve path and freedom. Once we have accomplished this, we put it down once the job is done. Why would you keep holding the saw? The wood is the wood, the saw is the saw. This is about stopping having reached the essential point, the end of taints of craving and ignorance. The wood is cut. You don't have to cut anymore. You put the saw down. One who will practice must rely on the Dhamma. That's someone who is not yet finished. But if the job is done, you don't have to do it anymore. You can naturally let go at that point with no more attachment and giving meaning to things. There is no need for any more doing. It is the state of peace. When we hear about it, we are full of doubt. What can it be? It seems so far away. But it is actually very close. It is something you can discover in your own mind. Things arise and you come to know that they are not certain. This is not real. That is not real. Where is the real? Right there. Trying to surmise, this is like this. That is like That is not right. Let go of things put down the judging and guessing. We go back and forth, passing it again and again. Then we are always in the state of suffering. End your doubts here. End your doubts and stop. Make an end of it right here, right now. Thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment. Let the words dissipate. Quote by William James, the transition from tenseness, self-responsibility, and worry to equanimity, receptivity, and peace is the most wonderful of all those shiftings of inner equilibrium, those changes of personal center of energy, which I have analyzed so often. And the chief wonder of it is that it so often comes about Not by doing, but by simply relaxing and throwing the burden down. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I calm my mind. May I be balanced, may I be at peace. for walking and we'll be back to chant. I don't know maybe hum I don't know but we'll be back (laughs) I'd like to see whomever can make it take good rest